Thank you, brother. That was very good. We appreciate you and your gifts, of course. You know that. Will you all please bow with me as we get started this morning? Father, I pray that you would please meet us here this morning, Lord, as your word is preached. Lord, these songs have been wonderful. We've already begun to worship you in song, and I pray that we would continue to worship you as the word is preached, because this is an act of worship as well, Lord. Not only me preaching it, but Lord, how the people are hearing it and receiving it, Lord. We worship even that way, and I pray, Lord, that you would help it to be true, real worship as we listen intently with our ears, and Lord, I pray that our hearts would be good, fertile soil, that the, that the word would land on that soil and produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times as much. And of course, I pray that if there's anyone here that does not yet know you, Lord, that you would please convince and convict and convert hearts, Lord, this morning. We love you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome. Again, it's really good to have you guys here. I was really excited about being here this morning. This sermon, though it's a shocking one, uh, it can be a very powerful one, and I pray that it will be. I was telling Amy that this morning, that I hope I said I do this sermon justice because it can be so good, and with God's help, it will be. We're going to be in Judges 19. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Um, let me start with this, though, and I promise you it does tie in. When I was young, my friend John and I used to really enjoy drawing. We would draw a lot, and one of our favorite things to draw was these things that we would call adventures. And the point of the adventure was this man had to get from the beginning of it to the end, but all along the way, we would draw on the path all these perils that the man could fall into. He, if he went off the path, he might fall into a pit of lava, or he might fall into a body of water that contained alligators, and of course, there's the pit with spikes at the bottom. We used to find great joy, actually, in getting the man off the path to fall into all these perils. That was the fun part for us, but what uh, I noticed, of course, is growing up is life's a bit like that, too. Not so much quicksand or lava or alligators, unless you're in Florida, I guess, but there are certain situations, however, um, there are certain people, there are certain circumstances that we can look at and usually tell if they're dangerous. Um, but why is it less obvious to others what we can look at, maybe, and see, that's a dangerous situation, that's a dangerous person, that's a dangerous circumstance, I don't want to go there. Why is it sometimes less obvious to others. Why is it that some can look at a scenario and say, that's a red flag, but others seem to not only walk right into the bad situation, but then continue to be blind to the red flags, screaming at them, danger, warning, turn around, do not enter, and yet they just keep on doing it. Why is it apparent to some and not others. Why is it that some people go from one bad choice to the next and can't seem to tell that it's not only destroying themselves, but it's damning their soul? Why is that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. I've titled the message this morning, Why Some Can't See the Red Flags. Why is it that some people can't see those 
red flags that might be obvious to others. Now, this sermon, this text, just because of the nature of it, I won't read large portions. I will towards the end read one portion, but the truth is you're going to have to just finish this chapter yourself. It is just, um, I mean, if it were put into a movie with visuals, it would be rated R, this chapter, and that's just the truth of it. Um, so we're, I'm going to pick select portions. We're a mixed audience in here this morning. So um, let me just start off, though, because we get a familiar verse in verse 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Remember, that's how the last chapter started. And that is a shortened version of that verse that begins and ends this section. It's the very last verse of the entire book as well. The whole verse says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is just the shortened version of it. And that's actually the first hint to the answer of our question. Why is it that some people can't see the red flags? Well, when we only do what's right in our own eyes, following our own sinful desires, well, then we will naturally fall into those traps and perils along the path because man's heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Yes, I know. Disney tells you to follow your heart. I know that. But I also know that that's wrong because your heart will deceive you. Now, do I mean always go against everything you want? That's not what I mean. I mean go against every sinful inclination of the heart. How do I know if it's sinful, Cohen? According to the word of God. God's word is the standard. And that's why these people were in such folly and were acting so foolish because they were all doing what was right in their own eyes. And every time you do what your sinful heart wants to do, you're falling into one of those traps. And some people don't get out of those traps. Some don't. Verses 1 through 4 say this, In those days there was no king in Israel. A certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. He took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him. And she went away from him to her father's home in Bethlehem in Judah and was there for four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when, her, and when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. The father tells him, hey, stay, drink with me. Let's just stay here and rest. And So who do we have here? Who's the subject so far? Well, what do we have again? Another Levite. Did you notice that? So it's not the same Levite from before, not the same Levite from chapter 17 and 18. How do we know that? That Levite was always called a young Levite or a young man. This one is called a certain Levite. He's separate from him. But isn't it interesting? Why do we keep getting Levites? Are the Levites the only losers around here? Are they the only ones making bad choices? No. This is intentional. It's just like when Jesus told the parable about the Good Samaritan. Remember that? A man fell among robbers. He was beaten half to death and left there to die, right? Three people come along. The first one is what? A priest. The second one is what? A Levite. And then, as you know, the Samaritan 
is the one who does the right thing. Jesus purposefully brings up a priest and a Levite. And you know why? The priests were the ones who studied the word of God, who led the people in the truth who were supposed to. They were the ones committed to the ways of God. So they should know the ways of God. That's why when we hear in the parable, a priest didn't even stop to help, help him? Why not? He's supposed to. He knows better. And then we hear about a Levite. What were the Levites? What was their role? To care for the holy things of God, especially the holy things of God as concerning the temple and the acts of worship. That was their job. And so, of course, they would know better. They would know the character of God. They would know, they would know what it means to worship God. And they would know. You love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we also say, even the Levite didn't stop to help him. What's going on? That's exactly what's going on in the book of Judges. That's why the author here keeps choosing Levites to show us because we're supposed to see, oh gosh, even among those who are supposed to be committed to the holy things of God, look how things have fallen. That's why he keeps bringing up the Levites because if it's this bad for the Levites, well, then it's worse for everyone else. And so what do we see here except a Levite, and he has joined himself to this concubine. Let's talk about that. A concubine was legally a wife to the person, to the man. She was legally to receive food and clothing and and shelter from the man, and he he was able to bear children with her. She was, however, Second status, she was a lower status to the wife, and the concubine also would not receive any, any inheritance. That's the nature of things as far as concubines go. Now, though the law of the land did allow this, God's law never allowed it. This is not something that is prescriptive. This is just something that's descriptive. What do I mean? Well, there's different portions of literature in the Bible. The law... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five books, they are largely prescriptive, meaning do this or don't do this. Just like when you get a prescription from your doctor, he's saying, take this. There's other portions of Scripture that are just descriptive. They just tell us what's going on. They're not saying do this. They're just saying this is what happened. And so it wasn't God's law that you were to take a concubine. The truth is, Abraham had a concubine. Who else? Jacob. Who else? We know Solomon did as well. But we're also supposed to see with these men, it didn't work out so well, did it? Look at Abraham with his concubine. Hagar, he has Ishmael. They run ahead of God's plan. They're impatient. And Ishmael ended up being a a wild man and with conflict in the family. And there's still conflict between his descendants and Jacob's descendants to this day in Israel. Look at what happened with Jacob. Two wives, two concubines. Like I've said before, it's like reading a soap opera. And then look at Solomon. Hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. What happened with him? His heart turned away from the Lord. So every time we see this in Scripture, it's, it doesn't go well. And 
We should see that. We should see that. This doesn't end well when you do this. It doesn't matter if it was the law of the land. It wasn't God's law. Just like in our day, in our history, unfortunately our history isn't always perfect here in the U.S., it used to be the law of the land that you could own slaves by law. You could own slaves because they were, at that time, seen as less than human or not human at all sometimes. And our law allowed you to own them, but not God. That wasn't God's rules. And thank the Lord, this generation now, we can look back and we say, we can say, that was horrible. That should have never happened. Similarly, there's a law in our land that says little babies in the womb, they're also not human. Just like the slaves didn't used to be human. They're not human, and you're allowed to kill them. And God let it be that the next generation after us can look back at this generation and say, wow, I can't believe they ever allowed that. Would it be, Lord, let it be that that gets abolished. So just because something is the law of the land doesn't mean it's God's laws. And by the way, there is grace and there is healing for anyone and everyone who's ever had an abortion. Okay, There is healing for you. And God can help you with that. And he will help you. He will. And he can. So we see this priest, no, Levite rather, has this concubine. And what about her? She's unfaithful to him. She's unfaithful. Not even a good woman here. We get a, a bad man, we get a bad woman. And it's just a mess already. But he wants her back. And so he goes to try to get her, and he does, he finds her. She welcomes in, him into the father's house, and while they're there, the father-in-law loves this man. He welcomes in, him in, and they eat, and they drink. It mentions two or three different times about them sitting and eating and drinking. The, father doesn't, the father-in-law doesn't want the son-in-law to leave. He, he, he keeps saying, stay a little bit longer, stay a little bit longer, and it keeps mentioning that they sit and they eat, and they drink, and they sit, and they eat, and they drink. And then the man wants to leave. He wants to get his concubine and go on his way. Look at verse 9. And when the man and his concubine and his servants rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day has waned toward evening. Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here, and let your heart be merry. And tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and then go home. Now, the fact that this Levite is able to just sit there and eat, drink, and be merry, and sit there and eat and drink and be merry is a problem. Why is it a problem? Well, it's a problem because this nation and this man were so far from God at this time in Israel's history, so far from God. It was not a time for eating and drinking and being merry. The appropriate response to this wickedness should be what the book of James says that we're supposed to do when we know we're in open, flagrant sin. James 4, uh, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to just start halfway through verse 8. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, 
and he will lift you up. But they were just cavalier and hanging out and being happy like nothing's wrong. Not a thing is wrong. Everything's just fine. I do everything I want to do, and everything's fine. Pour me another drink, father-in-law. And the appropriate response would have been instead to pour out your heart to God and repent. That would have been the appropriate response. But he's not there. Why is he not there? Well, the same reason. He's not there because he's doing everything he wants to do. Why is he doing everything he wants to do? This Levite knew nothing, I believe, of the word of God. He was not exposing himself to the word of God. He was not saturating his mind with it. And therefore, he was so far from it. And that's why everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes because there's no standard by which they're looking at and saying, this is right, this is wrong, this is our authority, this is from our God, the one who called us, made us. We are descendants of Abraham. We are to live according to this law and for this God because he is our creator. There's none of that, which is why we're going to get what we continue to see in this chapter, which just gets worse and worse. He finally travels on, and he travels on in the evening, not even caring for the fact that he's got these other people with him. He's got a servant with him. He's got his concubine with him. It's very dangerous to travel in the evening. He goes anyway. The father says, stay. It's, it's getting late. You don't need to leave now. And he says, no, we're, we're leaving. They travel on. He's irresponsible. Not a good leader in my eyes. You'll see. It's just so much more apparent as we go on. But doesn't care for his company, this with him. He's responsible for them. He says, we're going to travel at night because I want to. Sorry, we're leaving now, father-in-law. This has been great, but I'm out of here. So then when we get to verse 12, the one who's traveling with him, the servant, says, hey, there's this town we can lodge in. Why don't we pull over here and lodge here. And this is what the Levite says in verse 12. He refuses to stay there. And this is why the master said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel. We will pass on to Gibeah. He says, I'm not going to stay in that town. They're non-Israelites. We're going to go instead to Gibeah and we're going to stay there. And by this time, it's supposed to be the next day or maybe days later, it was already dark. And so the servant says, it's, it's getting dark. Let's Pull in. And he says, nope, we're going to keep on pressing on. We're going to go to this other town because there's, I'm not going to stay where there's non-Israelites. Isn't that interesting? He's more concerned with his physical identity than any sort of God identity. I will not stay in a town with non-Jews. Are you kidding me? Heavens no. And yet he is a vile, wicked man who's only concerned about the physical. Only concerned about the physical, so much so it affects his choices. It affects what he does and doesn't do, where he goes and doesn't go, but his heart's totally calloused to his sin. Is there any physical identity that you are more zealous over than your God identity? Are you more proud, perhaps, that you're an American? or an Alabama fan, or an Auburn fan, or a Republican, or white. 
any of these things? Are you more proud of that than your God identity? Because I'm telling you, that one, the one that's only focused on the physical, can twist and affect the spiritual. It really can. You all have met some very racist Baptists. Have you not? I have. You've all met some very uh, hot-headed, zealous, hateful people who would call themselves Christians. You get them on the topic of politics or something like that, and ooh, they're ready to murder the president almost. I mean, it's like, oh, goodness gracious. Where'd that come from? I get it. We should be zealous for, over sinful things. I, I get that. But what I'm saying is, what within you is there something that you're more dedicated to that's really just the physical, that really doesn't affect the spiritual at all? You're more concerned about that. This man was so focused. I'm a Jew. I will not stay with non-Jews. But he was vile to his core. Wicked. And it was all superficial. It's all just very superficial. We used to be missionaries, as you know, and what we found was we had to keep certain titles off anything we did as far as denominations. Because if you thought denominationalism was bad here, it's overboard over there. Because missionaries would come down and set up something and really convince the people, this is the only way. Don't go over here to these other people. It was sad, unfortunately. There was competition even among missionaries, and it wasn't always good. It's, I, wish, I wish there was a place where you could say, you know what, over there, they're doing everything right. <laughs> what I found is that when people get involved, things just fall apart. I don't know. But thank the Lord, some people were doing it good. However, we had to keep names off things because if we put Baptist or we put anything on it, certain people down the road who weren't Baptists, who maybe were Methodists, wouldn't come. So they said, if it's not, it's not Baptist, then I have nothing to do with it. And, or you're not a Christian if you're not a part of our clique. And maybe their hearts were so far from God. This man's heart, this Levite, his heart wasn't committed to the Word of God because his eyes hadn't been opened to see the Word of God. He wasn't saturating himself with the Word of God. That's why his heart's totally callous to sin. His eyes are blind to the ways of God because his eyes weren't open to the Word of God. I want your heart to be turned off, turned towards all kinds of evil. Don't let your heart be affected by the truth. Don't saturate yourself with the truth. Don't be filling your mind with the truth. I promise you, you will fall into so many traps and snares. Well, they get to this town that he wants to go to, Gibeah. It's full of um, Benjamites, by the way. The tribe of Benjamin mainly makes up this town. By the way, that's the tribe that the Apostle Paul was a part of, was from. The tribe of Benjamin. And when they get into the town... It's different than what we're used to seeing in an Israelite town. How is it different? Well, look at verses 14 and 15. So they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down on the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house 
to spend the night. No one took them into his house to spend the night. The author purposely points that out to us. And a Jew reading that would say, well, why not? Why did no one invite them in? That's bizarre. That's strange. They should have been invited in. Let's talk about hospitality for a second. Caring for the sojourner is a big deal. What's a sojourner? Someone who's just passing through. Leviticus 19.10 makes conditions for this in the law that you're supposed to care for the poor, you're supposed to care for the needy, you're supposed to care for the sojourner. Listen to this, Leviticus 19.10, And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of the vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Isn't it interesting? He gives a command and he ends with, I am the Lord your God. This is part of my character. When you're gathering, he says, don't gather all the grapes. Leave a few. If you drop them, Leave a few. Why? For the poor person. For the sojourner. Also, Leviticus 23, 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. We're going to see in the book of Ruth. We're going to cover the book of Ruth after we're done with Judges. We're going to see in the book of Ruth. We've got a man who does this. Boaz tells his workers, Hey, don't, don't clean up everything. Leave a little behind. Why? Well, because there was a pretty young lady that Boaz liked that he was, let her gather up some. She's new to town. No one knows her. She's a stranger. Let her have a little bit. And so he does. Also, Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. This is for the New Testament church and therefore applies to all of us. Let brotherly love continue. How? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, of course, we use discretion in this, right? Of course, it doesn't mean that we've got a, a mom all by herself out in a dark parking lot with a young child, and some stranger comes up and says, hey, can I get a ride? No, not feeling that, <laughs> right? Have I given a ride to strangers? Sure. Seemed appropriate, and I did, and I got to share the gospel. But there's times where we need to use discretion. However, this is still a command that's true for us. And Christians are supposed to show hospitality, kindness to strangers. Israel should have been doing this. These people should not have gotten all the way into the town square without true Israelites showing them hospitality. That's actually even one of the qualifications to be an elder. Did you know that? One of the qualifications out of all these other character traits for being an elder according to Titus and 1 Timothy, is he must also show hospitality. And many of you have been to my house and eaten our food. They shouldn't have gotten this far. We're supposed to see no one took them in to spend the night. Something's off in this town that's supposed to be full of Israelites. This is not normal. Just like it's not normal if you've ever visited a church. If you ever visited a church and no one spoke to you? I've never had that happen to me, but I've heard some people say, yeah, I came in the church, no one greeted me. I left, no one greeted me. No, I was thinking, gosh, I, I wouldn't go back there. Poor Rachel went to a church once and sat down. We know it was Baptist. Some man told her, excuse me, that's my seat. And he meant it. <laughs> that's, that's that physical over the spiritual aspect that I was telling you about that even goes for church chairs, by the way. Shame on him. That's my seat. Are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me right now? That's my seat. No, it's not, old man. I'm halfway there, so I can say that, right? That just burns me up. I'm sorry. That just really burns me up. Because we're supposed to be the people of God representing Jesus Christ here on this earth. And it makes me so angry when people who are called by the name of the Lord act like the world. You make Jesus look bad when you do that. And that's why it burns me up. I'm so much more harsh on Christians than I am on the unsaved. Of course they act unsaved. They're unsaved. But when someone who says, I'm a Christian, acts unsaved... Now, you're making my Lord look bad. That's why I'm hard on myself, too, when I sin, okay? It's not just others. So they go in, no one's showing them any hospitality. Finally, an older man comes to them and says, hey, what are y'all doing? He is also a sojourner. He's not originally from this town. However, he's staying at the town for now because he's doing some work out in the field. He comes in, the man says, oh, well, we're from Ephraim, turns out. So is that man who's a sojourner. He says, by the way, the Levite says, by the way, we, we, we've got straw and we've got food and wine. We've got everything we need. We just need a place to stay. And the man says, sure, come stay with me. Now, I'm going to read the next portion. Thankfully, it's worded in such a way that the younger audience won't get everything that it means. So that's good. But I want you to listen very closely and see if it just sounds familiar to you. See if what goes down here sounds familiar at all. Listen to this. In verses 22 through 26 of Judges 19. As they were making their hearts merry, there they go again. Behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man... Do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So they seized his concubine, made her go out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And at dawn, when dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came, fell down at the door of the man's house where the master was until it was night. She later ended up dying, by the way. Sound familiar? Does that scenario sound like something you've heard before? You should be saying, if you know any scripture at all, probably if you've even been in the faith for at least six months, you'd say, yeah, it sounds familiar. That's exactly what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. Something like almost exactly like that. And that's what you're supposed to see. You're supposed to see Israel has become like Sodom and Gomorrah, who God wiped off the face of the earth with fire from heaven. We're supposed to see this and we're supposed to say, oh my goodness, are you kidding me right now? A Levite, number one, has a concubine. Number two, she's committing adultery on him. Number three, none of these Israelites are hospitable at all. Number four, these, these Israelites are not only rapists, they're homosexuals. And then we find out later she dies because of this. And it gets worse. You can read the rest 
of the chapter. I'm not going to cover the rest of the chapter. I don't need to. But you keep reading. It gets worse. Why? Why, is that? why did these men, who, when they were in that scenario, why didn't they say, guys, this is just like what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Red flag. You know why? Because they didn't know about Sodom and Gomorrah. They weren't informed by Scripture. Therefore, they didn't have the Word of God as the lamp unto their feet and the light unto their path, showing the way. That's why they kept going off on all the wrong paths, hitting all the traps that were set there for them. They kept making horrible choices again and again and again. Why? They didn't know the Word of God. You know why they didn't know the Word of God? Because they didn't care about the Word of God. You know why they didn't care about the Word of God? Because they were doing what their wicked hearts wanted to do. And you can tell someone is following their sinful hearts if they're turning away from this. It's automatic. It's automatic. The closer you get to the Word of God, truly believing it, walking in its ways, the further you'll be from your sin. The closer you get into your sin and worldliness, the further you'll get from the Word of God. They can't coexist. They cannot. They can't. That's why you are a living contradiction. If you say, I believe the Word of God, yet you live in open sin, you are a living contradiction. And you can't do that. And if you're in that, let me tell you, I'm not up here saying, I'm better than you, you loser. I'm saying, you can repent and be made right with God and be brought back to where you're supposed to be. We all, Christians, I'm speaking to Christians now, we fall away sometimes. We do what we're not supposed to do. We take that path that we're not supposed to take, and we fall into that trap. But you know what? True Christians, when they fall into it, they say, I'm in a trap this is bad. I'm not supposed to be here. Father, help me. Get me out of this. I feel dirty. I feel nasty. I went off the wrong way. Please help me. And they get back. It's the ones who continually go after the sinfulness and the wickedness and don't give a rip. Those are the ones that we need to say, I don't care what you say about your belief in God. I'm not buying it. And neither is God. And I used to be there as a teenager. I used to be there. I told you guys this so many times. I used to think, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, you know, because I walked the aisle and I said the prayer and, and I got baptized. And I'll go on record saying this. I think the sinner's prayer has damned more souls than it's saved. I'll go on record in saying that. Does that mean I think the sinner's prayer is from the devil? Absolutely not. I think God has used it. But I know many a man who thinks he's saved right now is going to wake up in hell five seconds after he's dead because he got that sprinkled on him. Just like in the Catholic Church, they'll say, oh, yeah, this happened, this happened, so he's good. And we point at those Catholics and we say, ooh, wow, they get it so wrong. And unfortunately, many Baptists do as well. And I was once one of them. And these men in this house are some as well. They've gotten so much wrong. And we look at this scenario and we look at what happened also in Sodom and Gomorrah when the man says, take my daughters, take these people. See, it was thought, 
it was thought that it was such an extreme offer that no one would ever take it. You make these extreme offers thinking no one's ever going to take it. It's just for the sake of saying, no, listen, my guests are extremely important to me. And you make this crazy, off-the-wall offer. Just like when kings in the Bible have also said, like one of the kings said to the young girl who danced for him, I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. You know what no one's ever said to the king when he's offered that? Okay, I'll take half the kingdom. It's because he, he, he doesn't really mean it. He's just basically saying, ask for whatever you want, something big. And it's thought that no one would ever take this offer. And the men took the offer. Not only that, the men, the men offering it actually offered it. Horrible, vile Levite, supposed to be a man of God. How did they not see these red flags? How did they not realize this town of Israelites, they weren't really Israelites from God's own heart. The situation that you're in the middle of, how can you not see? How can you not see? It's just like what happened in the Bible. How can you not see that? Christian, aren't you so happy? Aren't you so glad that the more you read the word of God, the more you're warned and the more you're helped and the more you're able to see things in life, you just say, no, 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 that's, that's not good. You know, you can think of times probably right now in your head because you've learned this wonderful wisdom from the scriptures that it's helped you steer away from something that would have been bad for you, right? All of you, if you've been in the faith for a while, you know that. I have so many times. And your eyes get opened up to what's really true and what's really false out there in the world, don't they? The more saturated you are with Scripture, you're able to see that's clearly right and that's clearly wrong. That's one of the great things about the wisdom of God that is imparted to us through the Scriptures. These men didn't have it. You know why? Because they didn't have the Scriptures. They didn't believe it. Even if they had it, they didn't want it enough to actually do it, read it. They didn't find that much value in it. You show whether or not you find value in something by if you spend time with it, you invest in it, right? It's true. Their minds weren't informed by Scripture. Their hearts were gripped and convicted by the truth of God's Word, so they not only um, didn't know what their sin was necessarily they weren't repenting of it and that's why they didn't possess any godly wisdom and instruction to see and avoid this foolishness and wickedness instead they repeated the folly of the past they repeated it there's a saying there's a quote rather i'm not sure who said it if we don't learn from our past we're destined to repeat it you've heard that one right if we don't learn from our past, we're destined to repeat it. The great thing about the Word of God is we can learn from other people's pasts so that we don't even have to fall into it. Turn to Proverbs 2. Let's go to Proverbs 2. I think you guys get to cheat. I think it's going to show up on the screen behind me. I'm going to turn there. Listen to Proverbs 2. So applicable to everything I'm talking about. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then 
you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. See that? Guarding their path, watching over their way. Let's keep going. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of, upright, um, of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the, for, from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do, they re- nor do they regain the paths of life. Like I said earlier, some go off the path and never get back on it. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land. The treacherous will be rooted out of it. So clear, isn't it? It's just so clear. The Lord's basically saying, search my word, call out for it, seek it, and you'll have life, and you'll have righteousness, and good direction, and you'll be kept from all these perverse, crooked, wicked paths. I'm the Lord. He just gives it to us. He just gives it to us. So for the believer, I mean, for the unbeliever, let me start with this. For the unbeliever, what do we gather here from all of this? The problem is the unbeliever is not informed by sacred scripture. The unbeliever is not convinced by it. And so it holds little to no value for the unbeliever, and so they give it little to no attention. And that's just the truth. That's how I was. That's how I was. You know how much time I spent in the Bible as an unsaved teenager? Zero. None. You know why? Because I didn't like it. I didn't want it. You know what I wanted? To make Cohen happy. Just like the people of Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was all about pleasing Cohen. Now for the believer who finds himself in a similar situation to this Levite. Not, no, 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 no. <laughs> if you're in a situation like this Levite, <laughs> exactly like this Levite, yeah, We've got more to talk about. But if you find yourself in a situation where you've gone off the right path, let me put it that way, the problem is almost the same as the non-Christian's problem. Almost the same. What do I mean? Though you're convinced of the truth of Scripture, you're not informed by it. You're not informed by it. You're convinced of its truth, but you have failed to be informed by it. What do I mean? Meaning it's not that lamp to your feet and that light to your path directing everywhere you go and what you do and what you say and how you act. It's not the regular diet of your soul, and therefore uh, it's not active in helping you make your choices. You've temporarily gone away from it, and that's why you have gone off the path. Remember, there's a direct connection. The further this gets from you, the further you get off the right path. The closer you get to it, 
you're back on the path. Really. Following its ways. Not just reading it, because Cohen says to read it and check it off. There, I did it. No, 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 no. Letting it truly inform your steps. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If I asked you, why do you eat every day? You'd say, well, duh, you dummy. I get hungry. Absolutely. And when you have a new nature, a spiritual nature, you're hungry for the word. And when you feed it, you grow stronger. And it helps you. It informs you. Sadly, when those in the church become like those of the world, as we see here, when this man's an Israelite and very proud of that, but was not proud of the fact that he was a God follower, what we find is when those in the church become like those of the world, number one, the devil laughs. Number two, the world mocks. And number three, your soul withers. All those things happen when the people of God become just like the world The devil laughs, the world mocks, and your soul withers. Jesus said this, however. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will have light. Just like the Bible says, it's light to our path. When we are in Jesus Christ, we have that light that we need in this world. Secondly, he said, if you abide in my word... If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Say it. Free. Exactly. Truth will make you free. The Bible says, he who sins is a slave of sin. The reason why they can't see the red flags, they're slaves. Slaves to their own sin. Jesus can break them out of that cage, though. Jesus saves sinners. He sets them free, and they can see finally. And when you see, when you've been given a new heart and a new life, you see everything differently. And the more the Word of God informs you because you've got this new appetite for the Word of God, you want it, and you're digging into it, and you're feeding yourself with it, it gets even better. You get all this wisdom that helps you navigate life and avoid all those traps because then you see the red flags. You say, oh my gosh, that's a trap. That's a lava pit. (laughs) Those are alligators, and that's a pit with spikes at the bottom. You see them so much more clearly. And Jesus Christ also says, said this about his sheep. Listen to this. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. You also get sensitive to Jesus' words when you get saved. You say, that's not true, and this is true. These are Jesus' words. Those definitely are not. This aligns with Jesus' words. This definitely does not. I'm not going to follow that. That's the voice of a stranger, and I prefer the voice of my shepherd. He's way better, and we follow him. You know what? If you're not following him, you can. He has an open invitation to all sinners all the time, those who will humble themselves, turn from their pride and wickedness, and repent, and agree with him that what he says in the scriptures are true, and agree with him also that his scriptures say that he died to take your place. He died to take the punishment that you deserve. You're sitting here this morning at all thinking, 
boy, I'm a loser. Guess what? Jesus took your punishment. He took it for you. He took your punishment. And he died, shedding his blood, and he rose again from the dead. And all who will come to him by faith, trusting only in what he did for you to be saved, you can be saved and welcomed into the family and have this shepherd who will guide you and keep you from the crooked path. Isn't that good news? Let me end with this. If you're not letting his word saturate your mind, if you're not letting it fill your heart and guide your steps, well, you're like the man in my drawings, sure to fall into a trap, sure to get tripped up and really never get to the destination. You know, in our drawings, I'm not sure the man ever actually got to the end. He always got trapped up. He always fell into one of the traps and never got out. And I'm afraid that some even hearing my voice now or online will end up like him. And I don't want that for you. And Jesus doesn't either. He can save you and put you on the right path. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the fact that you save sinners. You open our eyes to the truth. You lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness for your namesake, is what Psalm 23 tells us. You do it for your namesake. You get glory in leading us in the right path. We get the help and you get the glory. Father, I pray that you would please Help us, Lord, be informed by Scripture. Help us believe it. Help us to avoid the wicked ways that your people fell into, Lord. And please, please, (laughs) let us know for sure that we're not above that and we could easily fall into such traps. So help us to be very dependent upon you as we depend on your word every day. In Christ's name, amen.